Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. We're currently in our sermon series, Next. The best is yet to come. For the past 20 years of Rolling Hills, we have seen God do more than we could ever imagine. Countless lives have been impacted for eternity. Many have professed their faith through baptism, Adults and children have grown in their faith through discipleship. Campuses have been launched in communities all throughout Middle Tennessee. And the vulnerable and the least have been served throughout the world. God has shown up time and time again, and now we faithfully look ahead to what is next for His church, knowing that it's not about us and our future, but about God and His perfect plan. Our prayer is that this will be a season that we look back on and see as one where God grew and stretched His people in ways He never has before. We're believing we will see restored relationships, miracles happen right before our eyes, radical salvations, and prodigals returning home. We believe for all of this and more. In this series, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah, and how God's call on His people in that day is one He still has for us in 2023. May he find us faithful as we step forward, trusting that the best truly is yet to come. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. For the past 20 years, we've had a front row seat to God doing more than we could ever imagine. Lives impacted for all eternity. Public professions of faith through baptism Kids and adults discipled in the ways of Jesus. Campuses expanded to reach the multitudes, serving the least, the last, and the lost. And now our sights are set on something bigger and bolder, something immeasurably more. Let us join God in what He is doing next. Well, good morning, good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. What a great morning already. Wow, worship, baptism, just celebrating him. And man, I'm so grateful that we're on this journey together. So welcome everybody here to our Franklin campus. Welcome online campus. And welcome back to our series. We're in this amazing series called Next. And I love this series. We're challenging one another, right, to take a next step in our spiritual journey, right? And for some, it's a big step, man. I mean, it's salvation we've been seeing, and, and we've been seeing baptisms, that step of obedience and following Christ, and, and people joining the church, and people getting into community groups, and men's groups, and women's, and, and going deeper in their faith. And some are small steps, right? All of us taking a small step. Maybe it's signing up to pray for 30 minutes. Man, it's like a whole new deal for me, right? Man, they're taking that deal for, hey, I'm going to step into this for 30 minutes. I'm going to pray, or maybe it's a step of asking for forgiveness, or a step of working on your marriage, a step of being the godly parent that he created you to be, or, or really a step of generosity, whatever those steps are, but for all of us taking a next step, and for us as a church taking a next step. You know, it's been 20 amazing years. Praise be to God. And we celebrated at the Ryman, but God said, I'm not finished with you, church. Right? Just like we sing about, I'm not finished with you. I still have more for you to do. And for the glory of God as we step out to see what is next. So in our series, we're walking with this guy named Nehemiah. I love this guy, right? Back in the Old Testament. And this guy, he was kicking back 
in the palace of Susa. I mean, he's the cupbearer to the king, kind of the prime minister. He's wealthy. He's successful, right? He's got all of this. He was even handsome. We know from antiquities, right? It tells us that he spoke multiple languages, and yet God broke his heart. God broke his heart for what was happening 800 miles away in Jerusalem. And for the Jews, I mean, Jerusalem, that, the holy city, right? The presence of God, the temple, right? Still Jerusalem, most important city in the world today. We're seeing that right now, even today. But Nehemiah's heart was broken. And he said, you know what? I'd want to join God in what he's doing. I want to be a part of that. And so he prayed and he planned and then he went to Jerusalem. And he goes there and he rallies the people. And he says, these walls have been broken down for 70 years, right? For 70 years, Jerusalem has been in disgrace. It's been rubble. And nobody's done anything about it. Come on, let's do this together. Let's take a next step. And the people rallied and said, yes. And they started rebuilding the walls. And then last week we came to Nehemiah 4 and all of a sudden, opposition, right? All of a sudden we saw what happened, right? People from Samaria, the Ammonites, all these people were like, hey, what are you guys doing? There was opposition from the outside. There was also opposition from the inside. The strength of the laborers started giving out. They were getting tired. In fact, if you missed last week, go back and watch or listen. I want to tell you, because here's the fact. You can be in the center of God's will and still face challenges. We will, right? When we're living for the glory of God, and yet we know this, our God is greater. We know this, that God calls us not to stop or to quit or to back down or to give in. And for us to stay strong in the middle of that, why? Because the best is yet to come. And that's what we're going to see with Nehemiah. And I believe that's what we're going to see in your life, in my life, in the life of this church for the glory of our God. Hey, if you have a Bible with you today, open with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the back. I'd love for you to grab one. If you're online, go onto the Church Center app there. You can pull it up, the Rolling Hills app, and you can find the scripture there. But Nehemiah chapter 5, Old Testament, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, that whole section right there, middle of the Old Testament. And we're going to come to Nehemiah chapter 5, and you can see the heading which says, Nehemiah helps the poor. Nehemiah helps the poor. So they're rebuilding the wall. Things are going well. Opposition comes. Nehemiah rallies and says, our God's going to fight for us. And then look what happens. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and our daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and to stay alive, we must get grain. All right, so now all of a sudden the problem arises, right? The people who had stored up grain, the people who were more wealthy had grain, and they were all like doing the work. And the other people didn't have a whole lot. And they're like, hey, we're working on this wall and we're rebuilding the city, but we still got to eat. You know, we're, we got to get back to the fields. We got to get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we had to, had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. So there was a tax that was happening, right? The Persian empire ruled the whole kind of world at this time. And so King Artaxerxes would issue a tax for all the people. So they're paying the federal tax. And they're like, we have to pay the tax. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and our daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. And so Nehemiah is hearing this, like, whoa, there's a deeper issue happening here, right? There is poverty. There are people who are in need. And, and what is going on? And he started to see that 
what was really happening in Jerusalem and why the walls hadn't re rebuilt in 70 years was because people were hoarding things and it was becoming about them and, and they weren't taking care of the people around them. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. And I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and the officials. And I told them, you are charging your own people interest, which is something they were not supposed to do, right? You go back to Exodus. He's like, what are you doing? You're making money off your own people. You're charging them interest. You're just getting wealthier and richer. And so I called together a large meeting to deal with them. And I said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. All of a sudden, conviction came over, right? And they were like, whoa, wait a minute. This isn't right. What we're doing is not right. And it was like the Holy Spirit brought conviction. They could say nothing. So I continued, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest, exclamation point. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves and, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain and new wine and olive oil. And I love the response of the people. You know, when you get called out, right, when you get convicted by the Holy Spirit sometimes and, and you have this choice, am I going to listen to God or am I going to go, well, forget you, God, I'm going to do my own thing, right? But look what the people did. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. They had revival happening right there. Nehemiah was going, you know, it's not just about rebuilding the walls, it's rebuilding the DNA of Jerusalem. It's rebuilding a, a people who care about others, who love others. And that's what we're doing right here. Then I summoned the priest and made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. You know, Nehemiah does this illustration, right? May May this be this, you shaken out, all your possessions gone if you don't take care and help others and be generous. At this, the whole assembly, I love this, the whole assembly, everybody said amen. Amen literally means I agree. So when we say amen at the end of a prayer, we're saying, I agree, right? I agree. And they praised the Lord. I love that. They praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. And now Nehemiah goes, listen, I'm not just going to talk it. I'm going to walk it. I'm not just going to tell you. I'm going to be in it with you. There, moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. So he's appointed the governor over this region, and the king would have sent food and all supplies to the governor. But he goes, no, 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 I, I didn't take all that. Even though I was entitled to it, I didn't take it. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to the food and wine. He's like, not only were they paying the, the tax to King Artaxerxes, right, the federal, now the governors were coming in and taking their food and their wine and putting a tax on them. He goes, no wonder people were upset. No wonder people were mad. You know, no wonder they're living in disgrace. 
He's like, this is what had happened. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But, I love this, out of a reverence for God, I did not act like that. He's like, no, 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 I had to live it out. Out of a reverence for God. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work that we did, and we did not inquire any land. He's like, we were there to do God's will. We were there to do God's purpose. We weren't there to get rich off the people or rich off the land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. So he goes, not only that, but I opened up my home and I said, everybody come on over. (laughs) Hospitality, generosity. He said, I got this allotment and so I just shared it. I just opened up my home, 150 Jews, everybody come into my house. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep and some poultry were prepared for me and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. So the king's shipping it in, he's inviting everybody over. Hey, everybody share in this. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. I love that. God, do you see that? I've been living for you. I've been living for your glory, God. And look at this opportunity. Man, Nehemiah, he not only rallies the people to build a wall, he's changing the DNA. And they're becoming generous. They're caring about each other. And so much so, right, that the city is rebuilt. And 400 years later, last book chronologically, 400 years later, Jesus will come and worship there in Jerusalem. Jesus will come and be dedicated there. Jesus will come and teach there. Jesus will be crucified there. Jesus will be resurrected there, the center of even the world today. Wow. And Nehemiah said, let's do it for the glory of God. Don't miss. This is powerful, you guys. Don't miss it because Nehemiah had his time. This is our time. How are we going to live? What are we going to do? All right, if you're taking notes today, here's some things I'd love for you to write down. If you've got a worship guide with you, if you're online, you want to pull up the Rolling Hills app there at the Church Center app, and man, you can go. There's a place to fill in blanks. But don't miss this. First, I want you to see this, the importance of godly leadership. The importance of godly leadership, right? You see it right here in Nehemiah 5, man. I mean, this is godly leadership. This is like, this whole book is like a leadership lesson, okay? So if you're any kind of leadership, look what he says. I and my brothers and my men are also lending to the people money and grain. We're giving, we're helping out, but let us stop charging interest, okay? Let's stop trying to just get richer and richer and richer in this. Nehemiah is a godly leader. And what I mean by that is Nehemiah knew the word of God. Nehemiah knew, right? When he was even over in the palace of Susa, he was reading the Old Testament. He knew, he knew that when God said, you come into the land, You don't harvest to the ends of your field. Don't go all the way to the edges. Leave some for the poor. He knew in Exodus, it tells us, don't charge interest to your fellow Jews. He knew in Leviticus, it says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Nehemiah knew this, right? He was godly. Norman Schwarzkopf, you may remember him, right? He said, leadership is about strategy and character. But if you can only have one, have character. Have character. Who you are matters, right? Because leadership is about influence. It's about influence. And therefore, we are all leaders. And sometimes maybe you go, well, I'm not kind of really a leader. You know, I'm more behind the scenes. I'm more an introvert. No, no, no. You're a leader. Every one of us. You're a leader in your home. You're a leader in your family. You're a leader in your extended family. 
You're a leader at work. You're a leader at school. You're a leader at church. You're a leader wherever you are in the community, whatever you are. You are a leader. You have influence. The question becomes, what kind of leader are you? (laughs) What kind of leader am I? Right? Because here's the thing. Leadership matters. Leadership matters. Nehemiah could have been like all the other governors and the whole city could have stayed in rubble. 70 years it stayed in rubble because the governors weren't good. But you look around at the world today, right? You could tell the nations that are ruled by good leaders and the nations that aren't. You know? Just look at Afghanistan. Just look at Hamas. I mean, you're just like, what happens, right? You know, you can look at states. You can look here and you can say, well, there's places that people move and there's places that people leave. You know, you look at sports teams and there's some teams that are really good and you go, wow. You look at schools, right? Everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And you can look at workplaces and you go, why does this business take off? And other businesses struggle, you know, and you start to come down to it. And there's external factors, but when you look at it, it's coming down to leadership. And it's the same thing for all of us. I bet if you're honest, you can think back in your life and you've probably had some really good bosses and you've had some really bad bosses, right? You've had some good bosses and those good bosses, they cared about you, didn't they? They wanted you to do well. They wanted you to succeed. They, they, they wanted you to, to go on with your career. And you're like, thank you, you know? And then you've had some bad bosses who just wanted to get stuff out of you. And you're like, oh man, I don't even like to go to work, right? Because everything rises and falls on leadership. Here's the thing. Great leaders, get this, put others before themselves while terrible leaders put themselves before others. And that really is the mark of it, man. You just start to look around and you just go, okay, like, am I putting others before myself or am I putting myself before others? And you start to go, what kind of leader am I? See, Jesus is the ultimate servant leader. When Jesus came, I mean, you look at the way Jesus led, he served. He washed the disciples' feet. He healed. He gave. He loved, right? And our model, Jesus is our model for how we should lead. And so if you start to look at, man, how am I leading at work? How am I leading at home? How am I leading in my marriage? How am I, le- am I leading like Jesus or am I leading like the world? <laughs> am I a good leader? Am I a godly leader? Or am I like a worldly leader? Am I caught up in the things of this world? Philippians chapter two tells us this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God, the Father. That's the example. That's the example. That's Philippians chapter two. You can go read it. It's amazing. But that's our call right there. Okay, look at this, number two. Generosity is our only antidote to greed. Generosity is the only antidote to greed. Look, it says, at this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. The people did as they had promised. I mean, we're talking revival breaking out right here in Nehemiah 5. Nehemiah was godly and generous. He was godly and generous. He was entitled to the food. He was entitled. And he said, no, 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 no. I want to be generous. I want to be different. 
Do you know social scientists will say about uh, the generation growing up in America today, right? When they look at American, you know, kids, teenagers, young adults, they, they look at that generation. You know what they call it? They, they call it the entitled generation. They call it entitled. And entitlement means, right, I, I should get this. I deserve this. This is for me, right? And the problem with entitlement, and, and many of us, we've seen it, we've been around it, right? there's never any gratefulness. There's never anybody that says, thank you. Have you ever done something for somebody and you're just like, okay, a little thank you would be nice. You know, it's like, I, I care about you and I would do this for you, but just a little thank you, maybe, right? But, but entitled means it's all about me. And you can understand this, right? I mean, man, it's hard. I mean, you think about teenagers or, or kids today growing up in this culture. We live in the wealthiest nation that has ever existed in history. Ever existed in history. And in Williamson County, we're in the seventh wealthiest county in the wealthiest nation that's ever existed in history, okay? And so it's a challenge, right? Because we think, oh, well, I get this and I should have this. Just by virtue of where we live, we're in the 95th percentile of the wealthiest people in the world. <laughs> and a lot of times what we do is we look at that percentage above us, the 3% or 2% above us, and we're like, oh, but I don't have enough. I I need more and I got to keep up with them instead of looking back and going, wait a minute, why do I have all this? Nehemiah could have just said, hey, I'm going to take more and more and more, but, but, but Nehemiah was generous. See, greed, greed is one of the seven deadly sins. When you go back and read in Proverbs and you think, wow, that could so easily happen to me, right? John Wesley said, anytime I get a lot of money, I want to give it away so it doesn't get into my heart. But here's the thing about greed, right? It's never enough, right? Remember that song, never enough, never, never. And it's just so true, right? It's never enough. And we always want more and more and more because we think it's going to satisfy. We think we're going to have more time or we're going to have more. We're going to keep up with the Joneses or keep up with whoever. And it's a challenge. And so here's what First Timothy tells us. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, notice it doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. A lot of people take that out of context. That's not what it says. There are a lot of rich people in the Bible. I mean, Abraham was really rich, right? David was rich. Solomon, wealthiest man that ever lived, although it didn't turn out too well for him, right? Because he kind of internalized that. He made it about more and more and more. So it's not about that. It's the love of money. I'm living for this. This becomes my God. This is why Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. Why? because he knew it was the chief competitor for our hearts. <laughs> See, this is why God established giving as a priority. He established this priority of giving, right? I mean, that's why you go back in the Old Testament and you see that don't go to the every edge of your fields. That's why you see don't charge interest on these things. That's why you see take care of the poor, take care of the least, take care of the lost. God knows our hearts. God knows it'll never be enough. God knows in our lives that we want more and more and more stuff and more and more and more things. And he's saying, hey, you've got to be generous. Watch, I'll take care of you. I'll bless you. But is your faith in the stuff or in the money or the things or is your faith and trust in me? How are you going to live? What are you going to do? So that's why you see in the Bible that there's tithes and offerings, right? Tithes is our giving our first 10% back to God. I mean, it's just simple math. I mean, God... Right, God created it, brilliant, right? Because it doesn't matter how much you make. You make $100, you give $10, right? You make $1,000, you give $100. I mean, it's just like, it doesn't matter. It's all in this. It's everybody. It's a tithe. 
But then there's times you give an offering. An offering is over and above. Offering is like, wow, God bless me and I can give back. Or hey, there's a big project and we can all give back. Whatever it is. Malachi, which is the last book, right? Written here in the Old Testament. Although chronologically it's Nehemiah, but Malachi was a contemporary of Nehemiah and he was a prophet. And he writes this. He says in Malachi chapter three, so he's writing to those people in Jerusalem. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings? Whoa, he's writing right then, right? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God's like, what are you thinking? I'm God. (laughs) I can take care of you. The only place in the Bible where God says, test me, is in the area of money. (laughs) The only place. The only place where God says, test me. And yet so many times we're like, ah, I don't know, God, right? I mean, I got to hang on to this because this is going to meet my needs. This is going to satisfy. And God's going, I can throw open the floodgates of heaven and bless you so richly. You can't even imagine. And and that's what God did. These people finally get it in Nehemiah 5 and they start helping out and being generous. Yes, we will, right? And what happens? I mean, Jerusalem starts to thrive again. Thrive, most important city in the world today, right? I mean, you see it, but do we live it? And it's so important for us to lead our children to be generous. You know, if they're growing up in this kind of culture, in this kind of society, for us as parents or grandparents to help them to learn this whole idea of generosity. I'm so thankful that I grew up in a home where my parents taught me about tithing at a young age. You know, I used to mow lawns and, and every time I'd mow lawns, my parents would go, all right, you know, first, you know, 10% back to God. I'm like, great, that's great, that's easy. I got like, you know, 10 bucks. I mean, I just like, I'll give a dollar, you know. And, and, but I'm so glad I learned that. And, and what I'm amazed, there's a lot of people who give their lives to Christ at 50 or 60. And, I, and I'm sure like 10% is like, what? You know, it's like, that's a whole different world. But, but what's amazing is to watch people who give their lives to Christ. They're like, only 10%? Really? I get to keep 90%? It's only 10%? It, it, there's just something different. But if we can learn at a young age, we can teach at a young age. And I think for us as parents, we have to say, what are we teaching our kids? Are they growing up more like the world? Are they growing up more like Jesus? I did the funeral yesterday for a 51-year-old man in our church, um, two boys, right? 18 and 11. And the 18-year-old stood up at the funeral and spoke about his dad. And um, he's like, my dad taught me so much. My dad gave me a foundation of faith, 18-year-old. And he said, I'm so thankful for my dad and all that he did for me, but I'm thankful that he pointed me to the Lord. And all I can say today is this, may God be praised. I'm thinking, man, that's faith, right? May God be praised. And I just went, wow, good job, dad. <laughs> and for us, man, we, we got a short amount of time with our kids. We do. I mean, but what are we teaching them? What are we teaching them? All right, look at this one. See, here's the fact. We all have all been blessed to be a blessing. We've all been blessed, Right? To be a blessing. I mean, why was I born here in the United States? Why do I have all this that I have? It's not just for me. It's for me to be a blessing, to be a blessing. I love where he says, but out of a reverence for God, I did not act like that. 
out of reverence for God. Nehemiah's like, I'm going to choose to live for God. I'm going to choose to do it God's way. Nehemiah made decisions out of reverence for God. And I think all of us get a point in our lives where we have to go, am I making decisions that are like the world or am I making decisions out of reverence for God? Am I trying to look like everybody else in the world? Am I trying to keep up a culture? Am I trying to measure up? Or am I saying, you know what? I'm going to live my life for God. Now, God's blessed me. I'm so thankful. I mean, God's given me all kinds of things. But, but man, I want my life to be about him. We've all been blessed. And it's not just for ourselves, but also to be a blessing to others. I remember when God called us to start Rolling Hills 20 years ago, right? We're meeting in an apartment clubhouse, 15 people doing a Bible study on Thursday nights. But we said, it just can't be about us. You know, I mean, it just can't. And so we said, let's do a mission trip. And we went, we did our first mission trip to Moldova, the poorest, smallest country in the former Soviet Union. Nobody ever knew anything about it until now, right? Borders Ukraine. And we started working there with these orphan kids, these vulnerable kids. God broke our heart. It's a reset for me every time I go. I mean, I love taking my kids on missions because, I mean, it just, they see the way the rest of the world is, you know? My kids, I mean, just watching them sponsor kids and just growing up that way. But, but we went, and I remember just seeing these kids coming out of just extreme poverty and having no place at the age of 15. And so we came back, and we were meeting at a church, and we started going back to Moldova, going back. And then we said, as a church, we got to find a place. And we met at the movie theater for five years, and we were looking for land to try to find a place to build here in Williamson County. And it was crazy. We couldn't, but God kept putting Moldova on our heart. And so before we ever have land in the United States, we spent $250,000 to buy a home in Moldova so that we would have 15 girls that would have a place to go. Today, we have four homes, two for girls and two for boys. But before we ever had anything here, it's just the DNA of the church. We started giving. And I want to tell you, church, you're making a difference because I was there this summer in Moldova. And one of the girls, the first girls in the Grace House, her name's Elena. She had nobody. 15, she would have ended up trafficked. There is no doubt. But by God's grace, she came into the house and we watched her grow up. And now she invited me over to her apartment. And so some of our staff, we went over. She had dinner for us. And her husband, John, who's a strong believer, and her two kids who are running around. And they're both teachers at schools in Chisinau. And they both serve at their church on Sunday mornings. And they work with kids ministry. And I just thought, wow, praise be to God. <laughs> praise be to God. And we could have just said, it's only about us. But no, God said, no, church, you got to live it out. See, Nehemiah invested. He invested. We all have this time. He invested his time and his energy and his resources in doing the work of God, right? Build the wall, right? Help grow the city, but also in helping others. In helping others. As we look at those first 20 years of Rolling Hills, God said, this is what I've called you. But now we're looking at the next 20 and what God is going to do. And you can see that we're talking about next and the next 20 years, the next generation, the next ministry, the next mission, the next one. And what we want to do as a church, coming together to be generous. And if you look at the brochure or you go on the website and go on the micro site and watch the video, we're talking about a couple of things, big things. One, we're talking about a, a new auditorium, right? Because we need it. It's full. I mean, praise be to God, but it's great. But it's not just adults, right? It's kids, and so if we can put a new auditorium right outside in the parking lot, then we can have this to be kid space. You know, we can have preschool and children. I never, ever want to be the one to say, sorry, we're full. <laughs> sorry, this kid's classroom is maxed. I, I want to always have a place. 
Our learning center is maxed out. I mean, we have a waiting list for every classroom. Praise be to God. It's awesome. But do you know Williamson County is going to double in the next 20 years? I mean, it is. And maybe you live in Spring Hill or Nolensville, and you're like, why didn't they plan for the growth, right? You know, we're, we're like, we're trying to plan for the growth, right? Because you got to build the infrastructure. But the second thing I'm so excited about is this. As we looked international the first 20 years, now these next 20 years, we're saying what God can do here. And as we join together, God gave us about a year ago, a church called Haywood Hills over, and it's right off I-24 on Haywood Lane, right kind of there in the Antioch area. And I want to tell you, it is big and it's massive. There's a gym, a full commercial kitchen. But what if we joined together, all of our campuses and said, hey, we want to have a place to help our city. We want to have a place where we can bring food and clothes and do ESL classes and that we could come there and do financial training, that we can help people get jobs, that we can partner with local ministries and make a difference right here in our own community, that we can go and serve as community groups, that we can serve with our families, that we can teach our kids how to give and to love and to serve. I want to be a part of that. And for us together, let's make a difference today. I want you to hear from a, a lady who's on our finance team, and I want you to hear what she's talking about as she's joining in to what God's doing. Watch this. If you had asked me when I first got to Rolling Hills in 2014, what, would, what do I think it would look like in 2023, I would not have been able to imagine what it would look like now. It's the immeasurably more uh, concept. And uh, same thing now. I can't even imagine what God's going to do in the next 10 years, 20 years at Rolling Hills. I just know that I've heard clearly that it's part of my job is to be able to set the platform, set the stage so that there is a space for God to do that. Hello, my name is Pam Ingle. My faith journey is an interesting story. I describe myself as a tumbling tumbleweed. So I uh, grew up in a retired military family. And what I mean by that is I think dad forgot he was retired. In serving at the church, uh, part of that is giving my time and my talents, but also uh, it's important, I think, to give finances. Um, that's uh, clearly stated in the Bible for us to serve in that way and give in that way. Giving back to the church has never been a question for me. You just open the Bible and it says it right in there. When you are so clearly directed to do something, it's not for me to decide whether the answer is yes or no. It's for me to decide to actually follow what God is asking me to do. You can't outgive God. I challenge us to even try because he will always find a way to take care of his children. God is present at Rolling Hills. Uh, you can see it in the people's faces. You can hear it in their voices. You can see it in the kids that are growing up hearing and learning about God. And heaven forbid that somebody not come to church because they showed up at Rolling Hills and there wasn't a seat for them. That's why it was important for me to ensure that all the believers in Middle Tennessee who are looking for a church home that find their way into Rolling Hills would find a comfortable place where they would be able to meet God. Christian organizations such as Rolling Hills, Christian bodies of believers like Rolling Hills had such a significant impact on my own faith journey when I was younger. Uh, uh, through that body of believers, I became a Christian myself. I, I think that's a primary mission of Rolling Hills is to be that body of believers that can come around a, you know, a 12, 13 year old young person who is, sees something different in those people around her and sees uh, friends and family in people who were just the day before strangers. 
So I am all in in supporting Rolling Hills and being that kind of place so that other people like myself can come to find Jesus. Man, I love that. And I love our people. I mean, just the generosity of you guys. And hey, listen, here's the thing. Our life is not defined by what we get, but by what we give. Our life is not defined by what we get, but by what we give. I love where he says this. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. You know, the people that you remember are the people who really impacted your life. Your mom, your dad, who was generous, your grandparents, people who poured into you, maybe a boss, a teacher, a coach, a pastor, a youth pastor. There's people who poured into you. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. Nehemiah lived his life for the glory of God. See, you got to pick, and I have to pick, who am I living for? Am I living for God or am I living for the world? And we have to choose. We have decisions that we make every day, right? Am I living for God or am I living for the world? Do I want my life to look more like Jesus or do I want my life to look more like the popular kids, right? I don't want to look like that. Is that where I'm going? Is that what I want to live for? Or am I going to trust him? Nehemiah gave sacrificially. You know, I mean, this guy literally living in a palace, I mean, wealthy, successful. And he says, I'm going to leave and go 800 miles away <laughs> to join God in what he's doing. Right, now I'm going I'm to put it all on the line. I am trust. I'm not even going to take all the things that are allotted to me. I want to give it back. Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get. <laughs> we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get, right? We get our income, but, but we make a life by what we give. And it's so true. See, we are most like God when we give. We're most like God when we give. And you know that. It wells up in you. When you're generous, when you're, you have this feeling inside. You know it. Why? Because you're acting like God. When you love, when you forgive, when you offer grace, and when you give. The most famous verse in the Bible, right? For God so loved the world, he, he gave. He gave. And what did he give? What was most precious? If you're a parent, I mean, there's nothing more precious to you, right, than your kid. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, God came to us. And the fact is, you can't outgive God. You just can't. You just can't outgive God. You realize that everything I have comes from him anyway. Everything I have. And boy, when I give back, when I give back, I get to be a part of that. I give back, I get to be a part of that. And the crazy part is this, the wealthier you get, the less you give by percentage. You know, poor people are like, it's easy to give, but the wealthier we get, the less we give. Why? Because that becomes our God, the love of money. And for us to, to be people who just go, you know what, I'm gonna be like God. <laughs> I'm gonna be hospitable, I'm gonna be generous, I'm gonna be kind. Guys, let's be a generous church. Let's be a generous church. Your leadership matters. Your leadership at home matters. Your leadership at work matters. Your leadership in this day and generation matters. Your leadership matters. So how are we going to lead? What are we going to do? Just a few weeks ago after the service, there was some people down here. I was talking to them. And, and this dad who's got a middle schooler, and I love this family. And the middle schooler is going through chemo treatment. The middle schooler has cancer. And it's been hard. It's been hard watching all the things that he's been through. And, and so I'm standing here talking to his dad and some other people were there. And his dad goes, I said, asked about his son. And I said, how he's doing? I've been praying for him. And he said, well, let me just tell you. He said, what, what I've been amazed, he goes, he, he never complains. 
all the chemo, all the things that he's going through, his body, he just doesn't complain. He said, in fact, the other day, we were driving to Vanderbilt to get his chemo treatment. And, you know, I always drive by, and there's always homeless people down on the corners when you're going down to Vanderbilt, and we're going down. And he goes, and I got to be honest, sometimes in my heart, I'm just like, you know, why don't these people get a job, right? I mean, like, I mean, what's going on? And, and he said, my son goes, he gets his chemo treatment, and we come home, and he says, Dad, there's homeless people all the way when we're going to Vanderbilt. He goes, what if we do something for them? He goes, what, what if we made bags? <laughs> what if we made bags and we put in bottled water and we put in granola bars and, and maybe we put in some toothbrush because I know they don't probably have that. And maybe we can give them some coupons. He goes, I'll, I'll give some money. For, I'll put some money. In. Can you and me and mom, can we, can we get together and make some clear plastic bags so that they can see what's inside of them? He goes, I just sat there and I was like, and the next day, we go down to chemo treatment, and he's stopping and handing out bags to the, to the homeless. And I'm said, wow, way to go. I said, you're a great dad for teaching that. He goes, uh, we're a part of a great church. <laughs> because I'm thankful that our church is teaching our kids to be generous. I'm thankful that our church is teaching our kids about missions. He goes, I, I, I thank you, but man, thank you for this church. Guys, your leadership matters. <laughs> you matter matter. If there's a God who would send his own son, who would leave the throne room of heaven for you, this is our time to give back. This is our time to trust. This is our time to say thank you and to worship him. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. Maybe today's a day of salvation. You go, listen, it's become about me. And Jesus, I need you in my heart, my life. Please come in. Maybe today you just go, I just want to speak Jesus over my family. Because <laughs> it's hard in this culture. It's hard to raise kids that are generous and kind. God is hard in my heart. Maybe today it's a time for us to have revival in our lives. God, I, it can come about me. I can get greedy. But Father, I need you. So Jesus, speak to us right now. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Let us speak Jesus over our families, over this world, over this generation for your glory. Father, meet us right now in this moment. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.